and welcome back to another episode of Loss of Down. I'm your host, Steve Weed. Of course, always joining me, my main man in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Mr. Wally Lukashevsky. Wally, how are we doing? How was your weekend? How are you feeling after last night? I'm doing great. I had a really fun weekend with my buddy Casey, and that was a good time. We got to watch some football. Then on Sunday, I had to go to a wedding rehearsal, which officially started Hell Week for me. Missed most of the games live anyways. I had to come home and rewatch Red Zone and a bunch of highlights to catch up. But beyond that, yeah, dude, just get a load of this for this week. After I record tonight, I'll have to edit this tomorrow and then edit my other podcast tomorrow. Then I have to drive to Columbus for that wedding there, which is in an Orthodox church did not realize how like hardcore these people were until i went to the rehearsal complete i I don't belong there more or less is the story and i'm knocking over cabinets with pictures on it it was bad anyways you're you're a literal bull in a china shop i literally am you're like uh you're like cam in in modern family when he's in like those really stressful scenarios you're the best at fucking shit up just drawing attention to yourself when you that's the last thing you want to do that's exactly right too because it was the last thing i wanted to do i wanted to blend into the environment and what's a better way to blend into the environment than knocking over four pictures of jesus and in front of everybody right as soon as i get there within five minutes of walking in the church i'm like this is great this is going to be a really good week guys i'm surprised you didn't burn up that is not a good track record we had walking into a church some a lot of people were looking down upon you i'm sure like who the fuck is this guy that's the best part is that during this wedding i have to be holding a picture of jesus for two hours and i'm like this is great swear what the maid of honor and the best man have to hold these pictures facing them getting married it was bizarre i didn't realize what i signed up for but here i am i gotta survive and then once that's over on thursday I go into the next wedding where I got to drive up to Wisconsin and then do it all over again. At least for that one, it's going to be much more casual. You're not going to hold any Jesus pictures? No, I mean, I still will, but this time it's going to be by choice. (laughs) You're you're getting brainwashed this weekend. You're going to come back and be like, I can't do this podcast anymore. And if I do, not a single cuss word, please. Oh, yeah, this is going to be a Mormon-friendly podcast at the end of this. I'm going to have, like, three wives, John Smith style. It'll be good. There was a lot of lot of fun games that happened here over the weekend. The Browns win an absolute ugly one. Bills blank the Houston Texans. We're going to get to all those. And the Steelers are really that bad. And the Ravens are really starting to make that come up. Or maybe Denver, we kind of jumped on the bandwagon. At least maybe I jumped on the bandwagon a little bit too early. But before we get into it, you know, we got to get a couple funny stories that we have since the last time we spoke. First story that we have, personally, I'm very pumped up about. The Super Bowl halftime artists were revealed for the Super Bowl here in 2022. If you don't know, that's being hosted in SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. So, of course, they have this lineup. Got Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Kendrick Lamar, Eminem, Mary J. Blige as the acts for the Super Bowl. Holy shit. I could talk about this for a solid 20 minutes. I know you're I'm the I'm the music guy between us too, Wally. Kind of want to see from the outside looking in what your thoughts are about this halftime show and just the plethora of acts that we have here because we it's typically a band maybe mix it with someone else, strictly a band. Last year we just had the weekend. This is a lot of people. 
It's a ton of people, and I'm not the music head, like you said. That's kind of a passion of yours, and it's really cool to see other people's passions from the outside, your vinyl collection. At some point, people have to see it. It's really sweet. Anyways, the fact that this kind of even hit me and my radar was kind of a big deal, just because outside of a couple where, like, Bruce Springsteen, when he did one about 10 years ago, it's been very seldom, few and far between halftime shows I was really excited for. I was the only other one I can think of where I was like that was sweet was J Lo and Shakira and that was for an entirely different reason than the Bruce Springsteen one, but I am pretty excited to watch this. And just for the hypothesis of Shakira's song "Hips Don't Lie," that's a fact. That was proven. Those hips still do not lie as well as J Lo's. It was a good show, but this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm probably most looking forward to. Oh my gosh, I don't know if I can pick one out of it. It's probably got to be Dr. Dre. But it's going to be a lot of fun to watch this. I, I'm honestly, you asked me. I was excited to hear what you thought about this because you are our resident music guy here. I'm pumped. Mary J. Blige, she just has one of those voices that will just captivate you right from the get-go. So that's a nice little little sprinkle in there. Eminem, I, I'm a big fan of Eminem in like a three to four album span. Essentially Slim Shady LP up until Encore. That His early stuff. Dude is still an animal, one of, you know, still setting records, billboards, number one albums consecutively. He's the only guy, I think Drake just broke it, or someone else, the only the only artist that had 10, his first 10 albums hit number one. That's insane to me. Then you got Kendrick Lamar, aka Benz's To Me Just A Car. This man has just been in the shadows since he released Damn in 2018. We got all the information that he's going to be re releasing his final album with TDE this year, maybe in early 2022. So now we finally get to see Kendrick out here. Maybe they're going to put out a new song or maybe just continue with the absolute bangers he already has. You got Snoop Dogg. He's the OG. Very curious to see if he's going to be sparking up during this halftime show. There's not many times you see, you know, you have those inseparable couples. You know, you, you got Ryan Gosling and Eva Mendez. Ryan Reynolds with Blake Lively, Snoop Dogg in a blunt. You just never see the two without each other. He has to be sparking up here. NFL is very lenient on their, on their weed rules. They're in L.A. California was one of the first states, if not the first, to pass recreational marijuana. Why not, Snoop? Light up, baby. And then Dr. Dre, the OG. The reason Kendrick really got as big as he did, you know, the reason that Eminem got as big as he did, and you can also throw in 50 Cent there as well. Dr. Dre producing, got Snoop Dogg with a little bit of that gin and juice. Kendrick Lamar, maybe with Humble, maybe Dan, maybe going a little bit older with Money Trees. I'm fucking excited. I can't wait. I was excited last year for the weekend performing. Hands down, more excited to watch this, and I can't wait. And now we don't have to wait for this next story. We've been hearing it all. People calling Bryson Brooksy. Brooks just being disgusted at the sight of Bryson DeChambeau, who's 200 yards in front of him. And now, the fifth installment of Capital One's The Match is happening the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, November 26th. Bryson DeChambeau versus Brooks Kepko. We're playing in Vegas. They have a 12-hole match that they're playing, and this is the most anticipated, honestly, rivalry, not anticipated rivalry, there is... Clearly a rivalry that seems to only have gotten better during Ryder Cup where people are like, okay, maybe it was just a front, and now we have this. Now they're reigniting the rivalry. I can't fucking wait for this, dude. I, and it's right there where we have time off work, and we can get fucking wasted during it. That's what I'm really most excited about. 
Oh my gosh, this was about the only thing that could get me really fired up again. I like the match now. I've enjoyed it the last few years, but this last cycle with Bryson playing with Phil and whatever you want to call that, I am excited about this one a lot for the simple fact that, yeah, it probably is a little worked up how much these two actually hate each other, but you know there's a little bit of animosity, and even if there's not, I mean... I grew up watching WWE. It's still real to me, damn it. That's going to be how I view this. They hate each other. I don't care what people say. Between that and, I imagine, quite a bit of football the day after Thanksgiving, we're going to have this on too. It's going to be a lot of fun. I have not looked forward to the match probably this much since the first one. As well as being in Columbus, that's fun. You got Thanksgiving, awesome family, yada, 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 stuff your face, watch NFL. We have Friday to look forward to. We have the match. It's going to be in Vegas, so I'm anticipating it to be a little bit midday, but perfect. Day drinking, get in there. Saturday, national holiday in Columbus. You're playing Michigan, so you have that. Then you wrap it all up with Sunday football, only to get your ass kicked that following Monday at work. That's going to be a hell of a four-day stretch. And I'm excited for it. This is all on top of eating leftovers, getting fat as shit, not feeling bad about it. It's the holidays, baby. That's what you're supposed to do. I'm not even going to try to get a segue in here, talking about what we what we should be doing and what we're supposed to be doing. This man is a great example of what not to be doing. Urban Meyer is under fire for being filmed in an Ohio bar. I wouldn't go as far as groping, but definitely putting hands where it shouldn't be past its bedtime. I will say that. As you guys know, Urban Meyer and the Jaguars played against Cincinnati here this past Thursday in the Thursday night game where Urban did not travel back with the team, let alone he stayed in the Ohio area to be able to go hang out with his grandkids, go out to dinner, see everybody. Then a little bit of a video surfaced of Urban getting a little bit too touchy with the woman in the bar. A slight butthole graze is what I saw out of here. That's right. A little bit of a graze in the butt. Oh, and it slips right there in the seam, and then it comes out seemingly on the other side. Here's a fun fact. That woman that Urban Meyer was all over was none other than, it's either the wife or the girlfriend, not sure, of Chris Corso. If you guys don't know who Chris Corso is, he's the guy that Urban Meyer had partnered up with to open up all those restaurants, Urban Meyer's Pine House, all those things in Dublin. Oh, man, this story just keeps getting better and better by the hour. And I love you, Twitter. But most importantly, I love you, Columbus Twitter, because this shit's ruthless. Yeah, the Bengals weren't the only pussy Urban Meyer was hunting this night. It was a really unfortunate time. To- Wally, you dog. You dog. That's what you've been sitting on this whole time. I don't know how you kept that one in. It was hard. It was definitely hard. Probably hey, like hey, hey, whoa, whoa. Are we still talking about you? Oh, I yeah. see. I ruined it for you. You got it. Yeah, we're on the same page here. We're on a good wavelength today. Unlike Urban Meyer and Chris Corso. All right, continue. Yeah, exactly. It was a very rough day for Urban Meyer fans out there. And I don't know about you, but with the way the Jaguars have started this year, I've said a few times on here that I think that this will be the only season Urban Meyer gets in Jacksonville. Do you think there's a chance that that timeline is expedited if it keeps... I mean, with this now, if they lose another two, three, four games looking as incompetent as they have, and we'll get to the Bengals game, because they looked better. They did look better there, but they're still not getting it done. If they start this year off 0-7, 0-8, even with a win or two, I mean, you could imagine a world that the cons decide, hey, you know what? We made a mistake. It's best for us to get out of this early, save a little face, and hopefully get a head start on the head coaching job hunt. And Shad Khan, of course, you're talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's already come out saying just 
inexcusable conduct. And right now, Urban Meyer must regain our trust and respect to continue. And this is this is not even including the the anonymous players that are coming out saying there is zero credibility with this guy. He has no credibility in that locker room. Guys don't want to follow him. And how could you not? It's not like Jacksonville doesn't have any talent on their team. They do, especially on the offensive side of the ball. They have talent. And you're just not doing anything with it. That is your most competitive game. And kudos. Only took you four games to be competitive in the NFL. He has to be on a short leash after this. With the slow start that he had, in the fashion of the slow start, he has to be on a short leash. If they continue, like he said, the 0-7-0-8, just get him out of there. Let him go over to California, USC, where he can grow up a bunch of surfer girls and you know everyone can live happily ever after. I will say, we're not seeing a lot of talk from the, the wife's side who was on Twitter before, during, and after all this video was coming out. I'm convinced that they are swingers. It makes sense. It makes the most sense. Well, I'm not really sure about all of that. I just know that it is such an unfortunate situation for the kids in that family, for pretty much anybody involved with this. Anybody that has followed Urban Meyer, I don't understand how anybody thought that him being a head coach, first of all, in the NFL would make sense. He's not a play caller. If you can't recruit kids, all of a sudden, I don't think he's that special of a coach. This is the perfect excuse for Jacksonville to get rid of him. I think that it won't happen immediately this week, obviously, because they have seemingly said, Hey, you know what? Yeah. He's going to have to rebuild that trust, but we're going to keep this behind closed doors. I know it's a thin leash, but I think that it'll at least be a few weeks before he's canned, but not good for the urban Meyer stands of the world. And we'll talk about those Jacksonville Jaguars and the Cincinnati Bengals. That was a Thursday night matchup here in week four. To start to kick off week four, Bengals end up winning here with the last second field goal, 24 to 21. This is, you know, like we were saying here in the Urban Meyer story, this is the most competitive Jacksonville has looked all year. They went in with a 14-0 lead. That Cincinnati offense looked like dog shit in the first half. They had two delay of game penalties right there at the end to essentially almost run the clock out, not give them any opportunity to put points up on the board. And then, of course, in the second half, 24 points over four drives, only allowed Jacksonville to score the one. It's a hair of the dog for the reason. We don't really want to talk about it. What are some of your takeaways, if you have any, in this game? That stop on fourth and goal at the end of the first half was the reason the Bengals win this game. If they go into halftime down 21 nothing, they don't come back. I know it's hindsight 2020 that you can say, hey, maybe they should have kicked the field goal there, make it a three-possession game going into half. But if for me, it's one of the few times I've actually agreed with Urban Meyer this season with on-field stuff. You go for it there. You have, what? I mean, you're a garbage team. You have nothing to lose. Go try to win the game. Don't sit back and be passive. So good for the Bengals. They did get a stop there. Only other major takeaway, I'll give two. Because one, CJ, who's your Zama? Get that? TJ Hushman a joke. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Wally. Just continue. Yeah, so he caught that ball on the audible uh, tight end screen because Joe Burrow recognized zero coverage and he made that call. He's the perfect quarterback. I love him. He's got such a cocky edge to him without going over the top. And that's special. You need to have that kind of responsible arrogance as a quarterback. And he's got it, man. There's nobody I'd rather at this point 
basically start a franchise with, at least of the very young quarterbacks. We're talking inside the last three or four years. Give me Joey Burrow every single day of the week. Outside of that, no, the Jaguars are very bad, and you already heard my thoughts on Urban Meyer. Also, RIP DJ Shark, fractured ankle. Yeah, out indefinitely. That's the one app that we use, a sleeper app. If you don't use it, get in there. Gets you updates minutes, like four to five to six to seven minutes before you're going to get a major major company leaking the story. I found that out, literally dropped someone, picked him up before Bleacher Report even came out with saying that he's out indefinitely. That app is clutch. DJ Chark, it hurts because that was my fantasy team name, Charkbait Hoo-Ha-Ha. And now I had to change it to Waller. I barely know her, which isn't as funny because I like the chart bait. It worked a little bit better. That's a, one of the best names fantasy-wise I've ever heard. The one I've got to say it tops, one of my buddies in the fantasy league I've done for a few years, it's a classic and I can never stop laughing at it. Bill Cosby sleepers. And I'm like, that's brilliant. David Clayman, that's a shout out to you. Only other good one I've heard was Jared Fogle Youth Group. That was right after all that subway shit came that's out. Shout unreal. out to my boy Seamus Keller. Wow, yeah, that's good too. That's really good too. We got the next game here, Washington football team taking a last minute drive to beat the Atlanta Falcons. Man, the Atlanta Falcons are so fucking bad. It's not even funny. It's not even funny to joke about. This was a shootout. Who would have thunk? Definitely not me. Washington football team trailing by eight with under five minutes to go. Scored, missed a two-point conversion with about three minutes left. And then Taylor Heineke, my man. Everyone was down on them last week. We're back on it. We we're, This is a Taylor Heineke podcast, and I think that we've already determined that. 22 of 33, three touchdowns. And Scary Terry, looking as scary as ever. Six receptions, 123 yards. The couple touchdowns to his name. Matty Ice, what the hell is going on? Kyle Pitts can't get it started. Four catches for 50 yards. That dude has six receptions over the last two games. Six receptions over the last two games. I'm mostly pissed because I had a Cordell Patterson on my uh, on my bench. Shout out to you. Fuck you, Brock Chamberlain, for beating me by four points when I would have won by 26 if I had him in. That's neither here nor there. I have not lost sleep over it. But Washington comes out on top, and that defense is still the problem here. Is Washington ever going to fix this defensive problem? And are the Falcons ever going to fix their football problem? That's clever. Yeah, the Washington football team, their defense is a problem that I don't think any of us expected. This was a team that I thought had the best defense in the league going into the year. I don't know what it's going to take, but until I see it, yeah, I've lost confidence. It's been four weeks of this, and the Falcons are not good. If you cannot shut that team down with that kind of talent, I don't know what's going on. There's too many brilliant defensive minds on that coaching staff for this to be going on. But as for the, <laughs> the Falcons, yeah, the football problem. I tell you what, Cordero Patterson is the ultimate martyr. But if you wake up and you look at your roster in August and Cordero Patterson is on your team, you have to be like, wait a minute, we're going to suck. Because for whatever reason, this is the guy that these franchises almost look to. When you're that bad, oh, well, at least you have a little fun with Cordero Patterson. Guy's a spark plug, Swiss Army knife, can do anything out there. But that poor bastard, I hope for once he ends up on a decent team. It's that Cordell correlation. That's what it is. You always think, oh, oh, you guys have Patterson? Oh, so you're like a four-win team. I didn't realize that. I guess. That, but dude is a stud. You know, he's getting some rushes. He's taking over that second, you know, second, potentially third spot. I, I call it second because Kyle Pitts simply is not getting the ball enough. 
Russell Gage out of the lineup. Cordell Patterson comes in. Been an absolute problem. And here's a problem for me this week. I, I lost sleep. I lied prior. I did lose sleep over this. Yeah, he's he's special. It's like these GMs are tractor beamed and hypnotized when they wake up in what April and they're like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to sign Cordero Patterson, and then they're like a three win team. I don't know how it works, but that poor guy needs to get out. He's having his best year as a pro. He's a, he's a late bloomer with it. He's just gonna be that one and done seven years into his career, and then everyone's gonna try to latch on. You know, I I don't know what his contract is. Right off the top of my head, but I'm assuming it's a one-year deal because I feel like the dudes never get – he's always on a one-year prove-it deal, and that's been his whole career. If Atlantic can hold on to it, not saying that's going to take him over the top because clearly nothing is, but who would have thought that Cordero Patterson would be the one picking up the slack offensively in place of Julio Jones? That's, that's what's boggling my mind. Not saying he's ever going to be Julio Jones, but the yardage there, he's been more productive than Julio last year and Julio this year. Yeah, I, I'm not going to mention him being Julio Jones or anything. But what I will say is Cordell Patterson, he's typically the one contract or one-year contract guy because most of the time you sign him for his special teams contributions as a kick returner. And then he just so happens to be your third or fourth wide receiver. And then occasionally, you know, what happened in Chicago, he's a guy that's capable of lining up in the backfield too. The guy really can do it all. It's just... I don't know. He's he's that guy. He, I feel like you, he's just band-aid for bad teams. But let's go to a next game here. We spent a lot of time for a hair of the dog game there. The Detroit Lions go to Chicago, lose 24 to 14 behind Justin Fields and company. I was excited. I know that his stat line wasn't all that sexy, but Justin Fields looked a lot better on Sunday. He had a couple really nice throws. That deep ball, the who was it? I can't remember. Was it Darnell Mooney who caught the deep ball? Yes. Okay, perfect. Well, anyways, he had a, just a few dimes that really had me excited. I know a lot of Bears fans out there probably haven't seen or at least had that reason for optimism too much this year yet. You'd heard about how great he was in camp, how great he was in preseason, but then you really haven't seen the translation quite yet. This was the first time you're like, I knew it. I knew there was a really good quarterback in there, and I hope that, I guess for all their sake, the line keeps getting better. As for Dan Campbell and that Detroit Lions team, a little bit disappointing this week. I know that you don't have a very good offense. I know statistically it's been pretty good, but it's not a good offense. So it was a difficult matchup there, but this was a game that you thought, and I almost thought that they could win. It was really difficult, but but outside of that, what do you, this is your division. What were your main takeaways from this game? The good old Wizard of Oz matchup. Lions and Bears, oh my. I know I'm missing one, but I got two out of three. I'll take it. Chicago had control of that whole game. They were up 14-0, 21-0. And, you know, I was sitting there waiting for Detroit to kind of claw back, and they never really got to that point. And when they were able to be set up, they just did not capitalize on it. We'll go to Justin Fields. 11-17, 209, a tutty and a pick. Yeah, not a sexy stat line. But you know what I don't see on there? Being sacked nine times. It's a small victory that you that you should take. To your point about the dimes, there were some there was a couple pretty balls that he was throwing. I was like, God damn it, I do not like to see that production out of him. But he looked good, you know, he only got sacked four times, which is crazy to think about. It's it's less than half of what he had last week. That bears defense, and I'm gonna get to that here in our gambling portion of it. That bears defense is something else. Just their offense is going to always overshadow how 
decent to good to awesome their defense is playing. Detroit's Detroit. They're not going to be doing anything. I don't like how competitive they are being in these games, taking their under four and a half. But as the season progresses, as long as they keep losing those games, that's going to be an easy bet for me. David Montgomery with two touchdowns, 100 plus yards. Dude ended up leaving, grabbing his knee in the fourth quarter. Find out he's out for the next four to five weeks. Damian Williams, who actually had a touchdown in this game, will be his replacement. I just cannot trust any running back with how horrible that offensive line is. And again, we will get to that. It's going to blow your mind. I can't wait. The next game we have on the slot, the Tennessee Titans visiting the New York Jets where the Titans absolutely choke and the Jets get their first win. Insert Reggie Miller choke meme right here. Tennessee was looking horrible. They were without A.J. Brown. They were without Julio Jones. Who are you with? Derrick Henry. Give that dude the ball, which they did pretty well at doing. They gave him the rock 33 times in the backfield, 157 yards and a touchdown, a couple of receptions as well to add on to that. Tannehill thrown for 50 times. Why do you have Ryan Tannehill throwing 50 times? I get it. It's the Jet. It's the defense. But give it to Derrick Henry. That's why you got him. He's your workhorse for games like this. He got a bunch of stars out. Give it to him. You have to give the credit when credit is due for the New York Jets, though. Seven sacks on this Tennessee Titans offensive line. That is 17 through four games, which doesn't really seem that bad. 10 through, 10 through three. Okay, you're, you're about three. 3.33 per game, seven in this game to the New York Jets. Zach Wilson only turning the ball over once, looking pretty solid. Robert Sala getting his first win as an NFL head coach. Love to see it. Clearly, he's getting that defense to play. Also, the Jets are getting a little bit healthier on, on the offensive side of the ball, mostly looking at Jameson Crowder, who played in his first game of the year here. The Jets win it. That's a one-off. I'm not really too worried about this. Who the hell are the Tennessee Titans right now? Dude, the Titans are bad. It's not good. It's You had the Colts, I had the Titans, and it, they're both kind of making us look like idiots right now. There's a chance the AFC South realistically could have an 8-9 and nine winner. And, I, I mean, it's just a matter of these teams, unfortunately for everybody else, they also get to play the Jaguars two times and the Texans two times. So that should be four wins between the two teams. That's the only way they get above that, I believe. They're not good. Tannehill's been disappointing. I know Julio was out this week, and so is A.J. Brown. So, I mean, they're not really playing a real Tennessee offense. But even when they're healthy, they haven't been lighting the world on fire. The Titans, I still think, are the better team in this division compared to the Colts. But it's not, like, a, a, a high praise. This is a couple average teams. But credit to the Jets. Zach Wilson, I was surprised he looked as good as he did. I'm glad you touched on that. And CJ Mosley balled out too. Good for him. And man, you win a game like this in overtime and sometimes you need a break like that missed field goal to get it done. The Jets desperately needed to get off the schneid and now good for them. They at least have something to be happy about, to be proud of in a year that I don't think there's going to be very many of those moments. And let's stay in that division where the Indianapolis Colts Travel to Miami, beat the Dolphins in a very ugly game, to be honest. The Dolphins are bad. Without a quarterback, this team is another one that just feels like wasted potential all over the field. I mean, they had 13 designed runs in this game for 27 yards. You're not going to win at any level of football when you're not able to control the line of scrimmage to run the ball whatsoever. I mean, they had 203 total yards in the game. But... Colts, on the other hand, yeah, defense is pretty solid. We knew that going in, but their offense still is kind of mad themselves. And 
I don't know. I, I don't think that we're going to see a lot of wins out of them either. This is two teams that I thought potentially could be playoff teams at the start of the year, and now they're in hair of the dog, and I wish I didn't have to talk about them at all. Well, the hair of the dog, let's get the, let's get this right. It's not always just a particular team, even though most, most of the time you can see the relation of horrible teams in the hair of the dog. This game, I mean, my God, you said the best in here. The Colts suck, but the Dolphins suck more. Who would have thunk you're having a backup quarterback as Jacoby Brissett, and your team is arguably worse on offense? A guy who's had starting, he's a starting caliber quarterback in this league. Low end, yes, I'm not telling you he's going to win you 10, 11, 12 games, but he started with the Patriots. He was a starter for the year with the Colts, and he comes back in here with all this flack on Tua, and now they got Jacoby Brissett, and people are like, you know what, maybe Tua's really not that bad. This was Jacoby Brissett's third game starting. Took him his third game to start to throw his first passing touchdown of this year. He he ended up getting two. Don't care. They're in the fourth quarter when they really didn't matter. It was that weird time where it didn't matter turning into, oh, shit, we can actually get this game competitive. 199 yards, two touchdowns. It's just the fall off of the defense from the Miami Dolphins to this year. This isn't a team that led in turnovers and turnover differential last year. This is not that same defense. Brian Flores has has to do a lot of soul searching for this defense to be competitive in that league where, you know what? Maybe the Patriots have the upper hand. Again, you put it on here great. Wentz looked better, but you can always look better based on the performance they had. Uh, the Quentin Nelson being out of this offense, I think is really fucking them up. He might be that key piece that really puts everything together. And I'd argue that they're better off having Jacob Eason at quarterback with Quentin Nelson starting versus the backup for Quentin Nelson starting on that O-line with having Carson Wentz, who's clearly injured, hobbling around on two sprained ankles. We both really missed on this. This is going to be, this will be a better conversation in week 15, 16, and 17, but the Colts and Titans, my goodness, do we fucking miss. And these Colts are bad. Not as bad as the Houston Texans with Davis Mills leading the pack. They got blanked by the Buffalo Bills, who seem to be rolling 40 to nothing. That's the second shutout the Bills have had in three weeks, just dismantling people. Josh Allen not putting up a sexy game at all. 20-29, 248, two touchdowns and a pick. But Davis Mills, 11 of 21, 87 yards and four interceptions. He Is went up to good? Buffalo. Well, he went up to Buffalo and said, oh, y'all, y'all forgot about Nathan Peterman? Let me remind you real quick of what he was like and throws four interceptions on 21 passes. Houston only only putting up 109 total yards in offense. That's 302 yards over the past two games. I get it. Tyrod Taylor, there's some difference between that, but that much difference? And that just shows you how hard the quarterback position is in the NFL. Davis Mills cannot get this done. And the Houston Texans, now this is the team we were expecting. This is the real Texans team that we were expecting, and it's not going to get prettier down the road. Credit to, to Rod Taylor because he really, I mean, this he's like the perfect quarterback for teams like this. And when he was gone, look what happened. I mean, this team went from being at least competitive and a, a team that looked like surprisingly might be able to win four or five games this year to now all of a sudden that Jaguars game the second time around, especially if Urban Meyer's still there. I mean, I almost want to watch that game because of how bad it's going to be. The product is going to be... It's going to be like that UConn-Vanderbilt game this last week that were selling tickets for a dollar. 
How do you convince people to watch this game? You can't do it. But yeah, it's it's ugly. It's going to be uglier because they're going to keep losing until Terod Taylor has a chance to get back. And then for the Bills, this is almost a game you don't even look at. It's like what Ohio State beats Akron or when Alabama beats Chattanooga. You almost have to just say, all right, cool. They did what they were supposed to do, but let's move on. And then let's just go to the next game. The New York Giants. Somebody here called it. I don't know who it was. It might have been me. I don't know. But the New York Giants. See, all you have to do is let me give you the layup, bro. I I didn't didn't say anything. I don't know what you're talking about. Don't be like Marilyn Manson removing ribs to suck your own dick. I don't know what you're talking about. It just takes the the stress off your back. You didn't even hear what I was saying. It could have been about anything. But yeah, somebody here, I don't know, probably me. I don't know, though. Uh, did pick this game right. They picked the Giants to upset the the Saints. And I will say this. I I really wasn't right because the Saints should have won this game. And I'm okay admitting that. The Giants' defense is still pretty good. It's just a matter of can that offensive line hold up enough for this team to be able to put up points on offense. This week they were able to with 11 in the fourth quarter. They were trailing 21-10 with only a few minutes left in the game. I want to say five, six minutes and they had to score twice. Oh, man, for the Saints, it's a, it's a tough one. You don't want to lose this game coming home for the first time since everything that's been going on with the hurricane and the fire and everything. I just think that they're an average team. I, this is another battle of average teams to me. I mean, this is probably a seven, eight, nine win teams. And that's and that's maybe. Hindsight, so 2020, everyone was, was jamming on Jameis after that first week where he embarrassed you know the Green Bay Packers and all of a sudden now he's c- kind of coming back to life Kamara's your stud 26 rushes 120 yards that's your guy but Jameis 17 to 23 226 one touchdown and then we had Taysom Hill coming in with a couple rushing touchdowns himself that one he had where he was Marshawn lynching people that's probably not a good way to say it he was beast moding people I think like that's a little bit better way to say it huh What's bringing back to your point with Saquon, he's not going to be able to do anything with that O-line. Yeah, because he was most productive as a wide receiver. He had a 50-plus yard touchdown reception lining up as a wide receiver. So maybe that's really where he needs to be lined up. Maybe like a little bit slow. You can bring him in the backfield. But you got to be more creative with the lack of offensive line play that you have there in New York. But while he, whatever, second, third, fourth off, kudos to you, kid. Fucking pats on the back. He called this one. He caught it straight up, too. He wasn't even batting an eye when he did it. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Kid's a fucking genius. We should probably take all of his bets and just take Steven's bets just because we feel bad for the guy. Hey, Danny you Jones did well had- last week, too. We'll get to the numbers here when we get to the gambling, but don't sell yourself short. We both would have brought you money if you followed our picks this week. Uh, yeah, we'll, and we'll get to that. Danny Jones... We're speaking of, you know what? We both hit on this game. Danny Jones, 28 of 40, 400 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception, which if you've listened to us last week, prop, lock, and drop it. My prop was Danny Jones to throw an interception. We are both fucking geniuses. My goodness, Wally. There's really nothing I want to say about this game. We have no real pulse on the New Orleans Saints. We never had a pulse on the New York Jets because as far as I'm concerned, they're zombies. They're just the walking dead. No one ever wants to pay attention to. I will pose this question kind of impromptu. If James keeps this up and he's just not that productive, are they going to switch to Taysom Hill as that quarterback? I feel like Sean Payton's looking for that excuse. It's pretty evident that that's the guy he wanted to have the job. He's kind of got a weird infatuation with him that I don't feel like a lot of people kind of have. But So yeah, there's a chance of it, but I don't know. It's going to be 
it's going to be difficult to win. You got to see what he did last year in that Denver Broncos game where they, what, it was that practice squad wide receiver versus Taysom Hill, and there was like 100 yards total in the game. That's about the only way I can see him winning a lot of games as a starter is they have to be basically painful to watch, and we're not in that position anymore. So whatever, I'm going on a tangent. We're going to go to our next game. The Pittsburgh Steelers, gosh, they're bad. They lose in Lambeau to your Packers, 27-17, in a game that really didn't feel that special or that close. But one thing I'll say before I ask you about your Packers, Pittsburgh Twitter, Pittsburgh social media is on fire about Mike Tomlin and Aaron Rodgers basically flirting mid-game this week. And people are like, oh my gosh, the Steelers are going to get Aaron Rodgers at the end of the year. For the love of God, please to know. I don't want to deal with that. So, and I think you would probably be pretty happy to keep Aaron Rodgers too. So when you watch this game on Sunday, what did you take away? Because the Steelers defense, they got TJ Watt back, but the Packers still have their way with them, putting up 27 points. Got to feel pretty good about this win. I do. You're getting TJ Watt back off of injury, but a 50% to a 85% of a TJ Watt is better than a 50% to an 85% of the pass rushes that you have in the NFL. So I will take that. He was a little bit more tamed, if you can tell. Have you ever watched, and I hope I don't feel like, sound like an asshole, have you ever watched a game where you just know your team's going to win, and I'm like, I'm invested, but I'm just like, yep, oh, yep, I- I'm expecting you to do this. I'm expecting you to be able to move, because if you lose, then I'm going to be fucking pissed. In the NFL, I don't really have that experience, because I don't root for the Packers or the Steelers. I'm a Raiders fan. But for college, I definitely get it. There's plenty of times I'll watch an Ohio State game, and it's like, I'm doing this more or less because I'm a fan. I want to see a win, and I want to see them at least get better for future games that actually might be in doubt. Green Bay had a grip on this game the entire time. Now, what I will say is towards the end of the first half, Pittsburgh blocks a, blocks a field goal, returns it for a touchdown, gets called back for an offside. Truly, I don't believe that Joe Hayden was offside during that call. I also truly don't believe that, that that was going to change the game. I think Green Bay was going to win it regardless because Ben Roethlisberger is bad. He is bad. That offensive line is bad. They are garbage. Did you see the video that broke out of Juju saying that it's a Ben problem? Because it started making the rounds over here, and naturally it's got a feeling well, it's, it's, it's not going to... And well, well it's gonna it's gonna start you know it's gonna start there a little bit you know faster than it is here like I said like that's why I got the Urban Meyer news a little bit better than you do because I'm right here I went straight to the I went straight to the tit you know I'm not going uh, I'm not buying formula like some pussy but the Packers so Aaron Rodgers had a solid performance 20 36 two, 248 two touchdowns adding a rushing touchdown too I really felt like a lot of quarterbacks had some rushing touchdowns you were not expecting Sam Darnold too we had Aaron Rodgers with one I want to say that. Well, I know Russell Wilson had one as well. The list goes on, and I hope it doesn't stop there because then I'll just sound like a complete idiot. I can't take this Pittsburgh team serious. They are not offensively there. With Chase Claypool out and Juju is your number one, we've already been proven Juju's not number one. He hasn't been good since AB left. And if that's going to be your number one in place of injured players, not even getting Eric Ebron involved, Najee Harris couldn't move the ball because you have no offensive line. This team will go as far as the defense can hold them. Because Big Ben ain't it. He's got a pectoral issue. And it is clearly showing in this. For 
Najee Harris to have 62 yards on a defense that, that's allowing 102 yards per game, they almost had half of what they're allowing, is embarrassing, and that should just speak volumes in here. Shout out Randall Cobb, the two-touchdown game. Love to have him back. And this will bring us to the end of Hair of the Dog, and we can finally talk about I still went with the motion. We can finally talk about all the games that we were really interested in watching here this weekend. We're going to start in the home, in the home state of where I'm residing. Cleveland Browns winning 14-7 over the Minnesota Vikings. A ugly, ugly fucking game. Dalvin Cook ended up leaving the game only to come back in the last couple drives here. Dude's only getting 11 touches. Alexander Madsen in for relief with him during that injury time. The biggest takeaway, I think, is Baker Mayfield not looking good. He looked off. He's overthrowing Odell Beckham and just having ugly throws. 15-33, 155 yards, and that's it. You thought it was going to continue? Well, I'm not. And OBJ, 2 of 27 on seven targets. You got to get the you got to get that guy the ball more. You got to give him opportunities to be able to catch that ball, extend plays, or be able to score. This Vikings team, I'm very surprised not only being able to put up seven, which was in the first quarter, let alone the first half, then they get blanked the rest of the time with stars like Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook when he was hurt before he went out for the ankle injury. I can't get a pulse on this Minnesota team. But this is a good, gritty win, which I feel like I've been saying the past couple weeks for this Cleveland Browns. Are you worried at all about Baker Mayfield? And I think that we have a clear idea about who this Vikings team is. I'm not worried about Baker Mayfield, but it is something that you have to just come out and say. I mean, he played one of his worst games, honestly, probably going back to his rookie year this weekend. He looked off, and it was weird. And the only thing that you can kind of really say for it is you mentioned Odell only having two catches. Everybody's still wondering, what's wrong with Baker when Odell's playing? They don't really seem to have a good rapport with one another, and it looks like he's almost trying to force it at times. And he had a couple deep shots in this game to Odell that really would have put this game away. One being a a walk-in touchdown early in the fourth quarter, and the way the Vikings were trying to move the ball and failing, it wasn't going to happen. And then the one at the end of the game would have iced it. Would have I want to say there was like two and a half minutes left in the, what, fourth quarter? I think, and he overthrew him again. Not ideal, but I'm not panicked yet. It's something I will keep my eye on, though. As for the Vikings, I think they just ran into the buzzsaw of what the Browns' defense is going to be with JOK out there now, and I think that secondary is finally starting to gel. It takes time when you build through free agency for a secondary especially to gel, and I think that's what happened here. The Vikings, they're an average team, too. They're not going to be going to the playoffs after the first month of the year they had I mean, it would take a hot spell I don't think they're capable of. So I think that for them, they're pretty much in a difficult spot. I I think that it's going to be very tough to be getting back into the flow. But they're a competent team. They're fun to watch. They're just not going to win. Our next game, the Carolina Panthers traveled to Dallas, and they lost by eight points. But it was a weird kind of an enigma kind of as a game because they were up at, what, 14 to 13 going into the second half, but the Dallas Cowboys then go on a 20 nothing run in the third quarter, which ended the game. So it was really a story of two halves. The Cowboys, they're very for real, but the Panthers are better than I thought they were. I've got to say I was wrong there as well, regrettably. Their defense is going to keep them in games, and Sam Darnold is more than capable enough to keep them at least in the flow of things. Dallas, though, man... It's finally good to see Ezekiel Elliott have a great game like this. And Dak Prescott, 
just give him comeback player of the year already. I could not agree with you more here, Wally. Dak Prescott, comeback player of the year. Dude had four touchdowns on 14 completions of out of 22 attempts for 188 yards. Like you said, Z coming back with a 143 and a touchdown performance. You can tell late in this game, because kudos to the Panthers, keeping it competitive at least for the first half before the Cowboys went on a 20-0 run in the third quarter to really take hold of this game. Kudos to the Panthers. I think that this all falls back on Matt Rule and his coaching. This was something that we circled here in the beginning of the year. You know, Carolina had a lot of one-possession games that they were on the wrong side of last year. They have another one underneath their belt that they're, that they're losing, but he's keeping them competitive without their best player on the team. Christian McCaffrey, he's doing this all. You're going to tell, you know, I'm not going to tell you on this particular game that a Christian McCaffrey could have been the difference maker if you're, if you're blindly just looking at the score. Yeah, maybe. Maybe Carolina goes up 21-13 at halftime going in there and Dallas, Dallas comes alive. Dak Prescott is that man. He has way too many weapons. Dalton Schultz, his latest weapon here. As long as they can stay healthy, we have Amari Cooper with that, with that lingering hamstring injury that kept him out a little bit in the first quarter of this game. He ended up coming back and scoring a touchdown. He got CD. Michael Gallup, whenever he comes back, he got Amari Cooper with that lingering hamstring injury. Dalton Schultz coming to play a little bit. And now Zeke is decided to eat. And you know what? Tony Pollard ain't too bad himself if Zeke's off his game. This is a scary Dallas team. And, on, and something that we will get to here, that defense is playing that we are not accustomed to. Dan Quinn has got his boys flying to that ball. Led by Trayvon Diggs in the secondary. Then you have Micah Parsons that is leading that front seven in that linebacking core. Next game we have up the Kansas City Chiefs visiting the Philadelphia Eagles, the house that Reed built. Uh, I actually just thought of that. I don't know if that's like the official slogan. I'm assuming that's it's, it's the house that the cheesesteaks built. That sounds more that sounds more realistic. The well, Philly he offense, probably kept the cheesesteak places in business. So in theory, Andy Reid did build the, the stadium. Wait, is Andy Reid more important to the city of Philadelphia than Benjamin Franklin? Yeah, I think that's a foregone conclusion. I, it's a, it was a rhetorical question. I was just hoping we were on the – I was testing you. I was hoping we were on the same page. Kansas City putting up 42, beating Philadelphia 42-30 to 30 in Philly's house. Philly offense, though, they were keeping them in this game. Don't let that 12-point differential fool you too much. Philly was in this game all the way up into the third quarter. This Kansas City defense is horrible. That revamped offensive line got tested this past week against an Eagles defense. Pat Mahomes, yep, five touchdowns, one interception. I am, I'm still mind-blown. Mind blown. I'm saying interception after all this every single week. He only had 278 yards on 24 completions on 30 attempts. Great conversion. Kansas City, 471 yards. Philadelphia, 461 total yards on offense. This is a glaring problem. From a Packers fan who has dealt with an eerily similar situation that the Kansas City Chiefs are going through right now of having an unstoppable offense and couldn't stop a nosebleed defense, this will not go well. They need to address that immediately if they even want to be AFC championship contenders. This Kansas City defense is going to hold them back. And you're right. They're not going to make it far in the postseason at this rate. Giving up over 450 yards again into an offense that at times this year has looked pretty bad. Ah, man, I'm uh, pretty excited about it. 
because I hate the Chiefs with my entire being, and I've been really tired of the Chiefs' love the last few years, including what I've had to give, because I feel like they're, they were the best team, and you have to give due when it's earned. But right now, this defense is a problem. It is a genuine problem, and I don't know how it's going to get better. You're forcing that Chiefs offense to play perfect the rest of the year, and having to do that three times in the postseason is hard even with the bye, and I don't think they're going to have a bye at this rate either, so it might even be four games that they have to win. As for the Eagles, at least I guess is encouraging for your offense, but we need to see it against like a non-Swiss cheese version of a defense, but they're not very good. They're Simply put, they're not very good. I'm upset because Jalen Hurts, he's going to have awesome stats this year, but none of like three-fourths of those stats are literally not going to matter because you're playing from behind. Miles Sanders is not getting the ball. You're going to have a disgruntled running back with a problem of having to pay this quarterback who's not really producing the numbers that you're thinking. This is going to blow up in their face. Eagles, my God. Arizona beat up on the Rams in L.A., beat them by 17. Now they're the only undefeated team left in the NFL. This is not what I expected out of this team, and this is a very difficult... I mean, it, I guess it's not a very difficult place to play, but because LA really hasn't adopted these fans yet, but it still looked like they had more of a home field advantage than certainly the Chargers did last night. The Cardinals, starting 4-0 and doing it against the teams they have, Minnesota game, I understand they probably should have lost, but they've been much better than I expected them to be. This offense is actually a lot of fun. AJ Green... Got scored again this week. Last week had over 100 yards. I think you made the stat. You said it was like since 2018 or 19. So it's been a while. And now all of a sudden, this guy, he's looking good. This offense is looking good. Kyler Murray has developed as a passer. And now all of a sudden, you can make a case for this team being a Super Bowl favorite. I'm not quite there yet. I need to see it. Probably give me another month. I'll probably stick on the bandwagon at that point. But I'm still, I'm just very... I'm that Vince McMahon meme right now where his eyebrows raised and like, huh, what's going on over there? Yeah, like, that, check in next month. I'll be, like, sweating with my face, and then, what, end of the regular season, I'll be the full-on fall back of the chair. I have trust issues about this Arizona Cardinals team. It's something that we've been, I feel like, me especially, I've been harping on. It's like, they're so hot and cold, I can't trust them. I'm one foot in, one foot out of the bandwagon right now. That's a team that people were ready to give the Rams the Super Bowl championship, at least the matchup against the Chiefs already. And for them to kind of quiet it down, cool down Matt Stafford, who has been making a very nice case for MVP this year, maybe we should start talking about Kyler making that. This is a fun offense to watch. I don't want to go as far as saying this is the greatest show on turf, but I feel like this is almost our generation's version. Maybe, yeah, A.J. Green, maybe a couple years ago when he's still in his prime. Got DeAndre Hopkins. You have Kyler Murray. He will make plays happen. He's like if Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson met up and fucked and had a baby, it's Kyler Murray. He can drop dimes. He can make you pay with his legs. This is a fun team. 307 total yards with two, with two passing touchdowns. You know he's going to make you pay one way or another. He's not turning the ball over as much as he was last year. I love this. As long as you can keep that up on top of making sure that Kyler is healthy. Because after week 11 last last year, that's when his shoulder injury happened. That's when Arizona started kind of falling down and just losing a sense of what type of team they are. 
I like this Cardinals team a lot. Rams, I'm not worried about this. This is a game that you clearly were too ahead of yourself on. Oh, well, we're both 3-0, but we're clearly the better team. We go in there and you get walked on. We know that. This is going to be a very fun matchup the second time around. Hopefully the Rams can tie it up here in Arizona to split the series. There's nothing to worry about as an L.A. Rams fan. It's Sean McVay. Let it get it. I know you're undefeated when you're when you're leading at halftime. Not the same case when you're trailing at halftime. He will make the adjustments, McVay, that is. I wouldn't be surprised if they ripped off another five or six here, and this matchup's going to be even a lot more fun. It's going to be a lot more fun than this matchup, if you can even imagine it, because it's not even, it was not nearly as competitive as you thought. Now, I do want to answer, I do want to ask this question, even though I kind of gave my half-assed answer. Are you quicker to hop on the Arizona bandwagon after this game, or quicker to hop off the Rams bandwagon? I'd be more inclined to jump on the bandwagon of the Cardinals. For the Rams, I think this is just a situation that they just beat the defending Super Bowl champions last weekend. This just happened to be a letdown game. I think you throw it out, you forget about it. I still think the Rams are probably my favorite to come out of the NFC as we sit. But the Cardinals, without a doubt, I mean, if they can continue this, I will jump on their bandwagon. They are a Super Bowl team if they can play like they have in the first month of the year. Let's stay in the NFC West, though. The Seattle Seahawks, they beat San Francisco on the road, too. So, in my estimation, the worst two teams in this division, when I say worst, I'm saying the two teams that are, I guess, least good. They're very good still. They're both- It's so funny because the two worst, you know, is way different in the NFC East than it is in the NFC West. It's fucking hilarious. It the, is. Just the discrepancy between the two. It is, because, I mean, you're looking at a situation right now that, I mean, Seattle might make the division as the fourth-place team in the NFC West. That's literally unprecedented because there's only been three possible teams to make it out of a division before, but with the expanded playoff the last two years. But I'm just saying it's unprecedented to see four teams in the same division this good. With there being 17 games, there is a very real possibility that all four of these teams are over 500 at the end of the season. And that's insane. And I am excited to see the NFC West take on the world come playoff time because that's what it looks like it's going to be right now. But the Seahawks winning this game. Jimmy G left this game and Trey Lance came in through a couple touchdown passes. I didn't get to see the game live, so I only really got to see the highlights here. What did you think of Trey Lance? Is this the time that we're finally going to see him take that job permanently? Or is this going to just be a band-aid, Jimmy G will be back, and we have to wait even longer for the Trey Lance project to begin? Well, that was a question I was going to pose for both of us, but I guess I'll just kind of take this over. Yeah, Jimmy G leaving early in this game for a calf injury, which he's him and Trent Williams, who left as well with an injury, are projected to start on Sunday. Regardless, Trey Lance comes in, two touchdowns. 50% completion percentage, 157 yards. With that, seven rushes and 41 yards. I thought Trey Lance looked pretty damn good for kind of coming in impromptu. Yes, I know that they throw him in there in those goal line situations in the red zone to be able to do that, which is the highest pressure you can be thrown in if you're not playing any other plays in the game. Now, Trey Lance looks solid, but I'm not having any confidence when you're playing the second worst team defensively in the NFL. Now, we have to take these stats with a grain of salt here. He did play the second-worst defense in the NFL, still putting up you know, those numbers, which are which are pretty solid. But let's put this in perspective. Russ with 149 passing yards, 
two touchdowns and one rushing touchdown through four quarters. Trey Lance outproduced him in the yardage. That doesn't matter. That's one play that a wide receiver breaks loose for an extra 10, 12 yards. That makes that difference. As long as San Fran has that defense, which is acting a little bit more suspect than we were anticipating here based off their track record, I don't know what to think about this 49ers team. Like I said, Jimmy G's expecting to come back here a little bit earlier, but let's just say Jimmy G's out for the next four games. You have the Cardinals twice, Colts, and then Bears. If Trey Lance goes 4-0 in those games, not saying that he will, not saying that he can, but if he goes 4-0 in those games, why not get the hell out of Jimmy G territory? Get him the fuck out. At this point, we'll win, lose, and die with Trey Lance. But I want to give you this question. What's your pulse on the Seahawks team? It almost feels like they're a prettier New Orleans Saints. That's actually an interesting way to look at them because I think they're probably just that. They might be a couple wins better than the Saints. I think they're a team that's going to be able to throw the ball really well naturally with those wide receivers and Russell Wilson. But I don't see them doing anything special. I think that last year is a good barometer to see where they're going to go this year. You have the Rams come into town for that playoff game and you lose in a competitive battle. And I think that's going to probably be how they go out this year. They're going to lose to a better team in a good game. and But it'll probably be on the road because I don't see them winning this division, especially with how stacked it is. But the Seahawks, yeah, they're they're a playoff team, but just like a fringe playoff team, I'd say. Kind of how I feel about the Denver Broncos. Baltimore played them yesterday. They beat them 23-7. Naturally, Denver's offense finally got exposed for being what they are, not good. Their defense, again, plays very well. Hold Baltimore to 23, and the way their offense played, that is a very impressive little stat there. But Teddy left this game with a concussion, which means you're going to see Drew Locke probably even play this next week, too. Which means you'll probably see another loss, at least, out of the Denver Broncos, because I think that Teddy Bridgewater is significantly better. But what did you think when you watched this game? Or I don't know how much you got to see, but Denver, they're not anything special. We kind of saw that coming. But is Baltimore, do you think they figured it out? Or is this just kind of been a, a factor that they've beaten a bad Lions team, a bad, eh, or at least an average Broncos team and a Chiefs team without a defense? It's all like a circulating thing. Well, the Ravens beat the Chiefs, and they beat the Broncos, but then the Ra- Ravens lost to the Raiders, and the Raiders lost to the Chargers. Do we think the char- It's just like an ongoing, like, what the fuck do we think of these teams? This Ravens team, I just think that they're very good at having teams play to their game. It's like if you're watching basketball, and you have a team that likes to move the ball fast versus a team who likes to move the ball slow. Whenever that team can get you to play their game, you lost. Same thing here with Baltimore. Let them play in your game. Lamar Jackson, yes, 22-37, 316 yards and a touchdown. One of those touchdowns, it's like a 45-yard bomb to Marquise Brown, which he barely caught. The dude has been dropping passes left and right. If he doesn't catch that ball, you take you take seven right off that board. It's 16-7, to seven, and maybe this game, you know, butterfly effect, domino effect, whatever you want to look at it. This Ravens team isn't standing out to me. They're just better than the normal bunch. And the only team that will give them credibility of being a good team that they have beat are the Kansas City Chiefs with the worst defense in football right now. As long as Lamar can continue passing at a rate of 300 plus, which he's not going to do, we all know he's not going to do that. 
then I'll take this team seriously. A lot of a lot of injuries in the running back position. You got a, you got some injuries on the defensive side of the ball. You have a Alejandro Villanueva who left that game early, which I thought Denver was going to be able to take advantage on, and they didn't. With that pass rush that they have, they did. They only got to Lamar about three times. With that Ravens D sacking Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke for a combined five times, only for thirty yards loss. That bad. I was really high on this Denver's this Denver defense to keep them in games. I don't see it right now. I have them still as the bottom in the in the AFC West. And again, kind of like that Tyrod Taylor aspect. You know what? Maybe we didn't realize how good you had it with Teddy Bridgewater before you put Drew Locke in. And you're like, well, son of a bitch. I really wish I had uh, Teddy Bridgewater in here. Ravens, great, great game. I'm not quite fully off the Denver bandwagon. They're going to be the fourth place team in that division, but I'm going to ride them out and ride this high with them. You know what? It's mile high, baby. Great, great stadium. I'm not going to ride high with the Broncos, but that's why they play the games. We'll get to see where they end up going. The next game is, I think, probably a game that most of us look forward to throughout the offseason. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers traveled to New England, which means Tom Brady got to go home. Tom Brady broke Drew Brees' record for most passing yards in the history of the NFL. How cool is it that it happened freaking in New England? You can't really beat that. But Tom Brady didn't exactly play great on Sunday night. You can make a case. Mac Jones outplayed the guy, outdueled him. But when it comes down to it, Tom Brady got the job done. I do feel like we got robbed of a really cool opportunity, though. Can you imagine Tom Brady at Foxborough with an opportunity to win the game down one with a minute left? I think that would have been must-watch TV. It's just a shame that kick went off the upright because we kind of got robbed of a special moment. Yeah, shout out to Nick Folk really fucking up the opportunity to get Tom Brady under a minute, driving down in his stadium that he's most comfortable in. Tom Brady didn't play a great game, to, to your point. I believe I'm also on that same boat as you as Mac Jones outperformed him. Not a big moral victory guy in the NFL, but this is something you can hang your hat on. I'm not going to say it's a moral victory. This is something you can, this is a takeaway from the game. And it was really fun. You know, you, we don't think. The only person that can stop Tom Brady is going to be Bill Belichick, and the only one to beat Bill Belichick's defense is going to be Tom Brady. And I felt like we got glimpses of each of that in this game. Again, shout-out to Nick Folk for really fucking up the opportunity for that Cinderella return back home, getting that revenge for this team. With how high I've been on the Tampa Bay defense over the past couple years or during this time we had the podcast, they have been looking horrible this year, in the secondary mostly. They're still only allowing 47 yards per game in rushing. That's mind-blowing to me. I don't give a shit if you played the four bottom teams. That is a good number when you're in the NFL. 47 yards per game you're allowing. With all the injuries that they're sustaining here in the secondary, Carlton David with that lingering abdomen rib injury. With Antoine Winfield Jr. with the concussion he had this past game. Bunting Murphy, who's heading to the IR. And then you have Jamel Dean who's coming in, a replacement for Antoine Winfield, ends up getting hurt. Who's your sole guy in that secondary? Richard Sherman, who was sitting on, jerking off on his couch a week ago, is your starting cornerback right now. You cannot have that. That front seven's glorious. But if you're not giving, you can't get coverage sacks to be able to allow them extra time to get after the quarterback. If they don't have that three to four seconds, that secondary's fucked, that front seven's fucked, and you're taken away from that whole defense if they don't want to run the ball. Because now you know what your weakness is. 
because Mac Jones just exploited it. I don't know what to think about this Tampa Bay team right now. It's a similar conversation we were having last year at this time when they started. They decided to blow up. Again, great game to hang your hat on as a New England Patriot. To the Monday night game at SoFi, where the Vegas Raiders visited the LA Chargers, losing 28-14 to in the process. This is the Chargers all game. It was them all game. There was not a question. You are waiting for the offense of the Raiders to really start putting a couple things together. It just never ended up like that. Chargers led 21 at half, only to score seven in the in the final half, but still coming away with the victory. I don't want to spend too much on this because I know for a fact you you spent more time watching this and researching this because I was asleep by the by the third drive. What are your thoughts on this, Wally? And how are you feeling about your Raiders losing their first game of the year? Crazy that we started this night off with a lightning delay in a dome. That's insane. It just goes to show how dumb the people of Southern California are for those Los Angeles Chargers there. And this whoa, whoa, whoa! To, to put it, unless you're unless you're getting to it, the reason they did is because there's no protection on the sides. Yeah, exactly. You make a dome that has no protection on the sides. It's like the people in San Diego that have the freaking what? They have no rain tarp. So that if there's a drizzle in Southern California, the Padres immediately, they're like, ah, I don't know what to tell you. The ball game's canceled. It's the same thing. I understand it doesn't rain a lot, but come on. I, it, it would just seem dumb. It was already a $4 billion stadium. You can't just get proper AC in there. Whatever. But I just had to give the Chargers fan a hard time for a second. And there's not many of them as you got to see on Sunday, or <laughs> as you got to see last night, because the Raiders took over that building. They used a silent count all game. It's an annual tradition now that when the Raiders play the Los Angeles teams, they dwarf their fandom because of the Raiders' time there in L.A. in the 80s and 90s. But I am not actually as upset as I expected to be because this isn't the kind of loss I expected. I expected the Raiders to lose in a shootout because the defense was inept and looked bad. Outside of that first drive... I was actually marginally impressed with the defense. It's much better than I expected. And they had kept them in this game. After they go down 21-0 at half, I got really worried about what this game might turn into. But the Raiders ended up coming out. They scored 14 straight points and then had the ball and had a chance to go down and tie the game. Unfortunately, Daniel Carlson, one of the better kickers in the league, he misses a field goal. And that was the moment that this game really ended. All the momentum went back to the Chargers. And they go down the field and score. So I'm not actually that panicked about the Raiders. But for the Chargers, I just have to say one thing. Brandon Staley's the real deal. I love the balls on this guy. The way he's been aggressive. I mean, they had two times in the third and fourth quarter. I had to point out. I wrote down the times and the situations. Chargers are up 21-7. to Early in the third quarter. You can tell the Raiders have a little bit of momentum. Instead of just punting the ball back like most people do on fourth and two about midfield. They go for it and get it. Credit to the Raiders. They were able to get off the field right after that still. But then they also went for it on fourth and two with about nine minutes left. And that was a position where if you do punt the ball there, the Raiders have a chance to go down and tie again. So credit to Brandon Staley. He won this game. I've been a big Brandon Staley guy. I listened to him on the part of my take interview that he had with them. And he, it was the first time I've ever heard anyone coin the term competitive casual and I, and I hope I'm quoting that correct it's essentially just wearing sweats but it's like a professional version of that where they're like buttoned up they're all the same colors you're tucked in a little bit 
it's a way for him to get around having to wear nice clothes. It's like, yeah, it's competitive casual. It's like, you're just in a hoodie and sweatpants. Yeah, to you, to me, this is competitive casual. Absolute boss move. I love his interviews, and I love when the defensive coach takes over a team and he just is that heartbeat of the team. And a defensive coach, I feel like, can really feel out the momentum shift better than an offensive coach. Yes, obviously, they're in the NFL and they understand that, but having that perspective of the defensive side of knowing you're exhausting them, you're beating them to a pulp to the point where they're second-guessing, do I really even want to play football right now? Brandon Staley's doing that. Like you said, he walks in, puts your fucking nuts right there on the desk, that's all my master of none folks that watch that show. If you, if you get that reference, great. If you don't watch the show, it's a pretty solid show. I like this Chargers team a lot. I'm just going to go ahead and say they're winning, this, they're winning this West. They're winning this division this year. Four games in, I'm full go. I already got Justin Herbert as my dark horse MVP candidate. Got 20 bucks on him to win it back in April. I'm going full in on the Chargers. As you should. This I think you're right. This is my pick right now to win this division. They have that head-to-head matchup over the Chiefs. Even if the Chiefs do split with them, which would basically put this at a tie at this stage of the season, until I see a little bit out of that Chiefs defense, I don't believe it. And this Chargers one is for real. The Raiders didn't have a first down on their first five drives last night, and this was the most prolific offense in the league thus far this year. That's a testament to that how well coached they are and how hard he has that defense playing right now. Very, very good things in L.A. right now. Both, I guess, for the Rams and the Chargers. I mean, could we see a Los Angeles Super Bowl in L.A. with the two L.A. teams? You might have an empty building. <laughs> yeah, what, they're going to find something else. Oh, oh, they got, like, NBA. Oh, they have the, the Lakers versus Cleveland where LeBron gets to play the Cavs. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll walk into that about a quarter and a half late. But I'll watch it all up until the fourth quarter. Those fans are the absolute worst. The L.A. fans are the equivalent of people saying, here's my name, put it on there, and I'll just get an A and not do any of the work. That is them. Oh, we're good? Yeah, I got, I'll show a face for a quarter, quarter and a half. Yeah, and they'll wait until the postseason, too. Like That's when those fans emerge. It's the people that don't watch all regular season, don't pay attention, and then all of a sudden they're in the playoffs, and they're the ones trying to sell it that they're the biggest fans in the world. Don't you hate those people that are like, like they make it seem like they live and breathe and that this is going to ruin their life when they lose. And then five minutes after a loss, they're like, oh, cool. What are we going to do now? No, this shit ruined my day. I'm going to be miserable for a while. And I hate those people. Do we have a breaking news? None of this is going to be breaking news when this comes out. Jalen Smith to be released from the Cowboys. Wow, really? What the hell? That's the only that's the only pass rush that they have had this year. Oh, there's no other stories outside of this. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go on a whim saying there's going to be a lot of stories once you listen to this podcast. 8:37 p.m. And mark this on your calendars. October 5th, 2021, Jalen Smith, per Adam Schefter, former second round pick, released by the Dallas Cowboys. And now we'll bring us to the end of our week four recap. And now, finally, on to the week five gambling, which we were kidding. We're going to make you money. But I'm going to let Wally kind of explain that here. Yes. So I told you guys I'm going to start doing more of the math. So it's actually a very 
like you get to actually know how much money you'd be making with us, so it makes it easier to know that you should follow. So last week, I went 22 and 10. Steve went 13 and 8. So both of us did pretty well. Steve's 13 and 8 record netted you a 3.03 units. So if your standard betting value is $100, you would have made $303 last week if you followed Steve. If you followed me last week, you would have made $884 being 8.84 units up. And most likely you would probably have to quit your job because you're ready for retirement. We're the best. That's all you have to know. Don't insert, but insert DJ Khaled gif right here. First game of the week. We got the LA Rams who are a point and a half favorites visiting Seattle here. This one's easy. I'm just going to go with the Rams minus one and a half. I cannot trust the Seattle defense. They have given up the most yards, averaging the most rushing yards allowed per game, which the Rams are going to be pretty solid, and they would love to exploit that, as well as a bottom five yards per game allowed, which you know Matt Stafford is going to be hungry in the division after losing a division game. You can't go 0-2 in there. And this is a Rams offense that's averaging slightly under 300 passing yards per game. 93 rushing yards per game. I think that they're going to exploit every single thing on here. I'm not confident enough in Seattle's defense to let Russ cook in this bet. I'm going to go with the Rams minus one and a half to the visiting Seattle Seahawks. Getting that bounce back game. Maybe, hell, maybe the Cardinals lose and they're right back in the mix of things. Rams minus one and a half in money line. It's going to be easy just because, like you said, comeback game after last week. Really good opportunity for them to get refocused. And it's going to be a good opportunity, too, to see what a playoff atmosphere is going to be like again. Rams are going to win this game. I think they win probably. I'd take this all the way up to probably four and a half or five and a half. Take the Rams and the money line. The Jets are traveling to Atlanta. Unfortunately, it's not a battle of the winless anymore. But the Falcons are still favored by three and a half going into this game. I was a little surprised by that for the simple fact that until I see them actually get it done... I need to see this team actually learn to win. I'm taking the Jets plus three and a half in the money line. I think Zach Wilson builds on that performance last week. Might still be throwing a pick or two because you kind of expect that out of a young quarterback. But I think their defense is going to give up some points. But I think they're going to make one or two key plays in this game that's going to bring home a win for the Jets. What do you have? I have the Jets at plus three and a half here as well. Defensively, there's about a 30-yard difference in between what these teams are allowing yet the jets are second in the league in giveaways with eight only right behind jacksonville but atlanta's at minus two turnover dif- differential as well there's nothing that i can grip onto this that's going to make me confident in picking the falcons i'm running with the jets points right now i see this being a one to two point game and it's atlanta i have no confidence picking the falcons right now After the Jets coming off a seven-sack game against the Tennessee Titans, I expect Matt Ryan to be under some pressure as well. I like the Jets at plus three and a half against the hosting Falcons. My Green Bay Packers are visiting Cincinnati Bengals, which I will be in attendance for this game. I am very excited. The Packers are three-point favorites. I don't really understand what I'm missing here. The Bengals could potentially be without Joe Mixon. T. Higgins, we'll see how he's going to go. But I think Burrow can exploit the Packers secondary. The Packers secondary hasn't done anything crazy. This is arguably their deepest wide receiving core that they're dealing with. 
healthy receiving core, as I should add to that, obviously with Chase Claypool being out last last week. And I think that this game is going to come down to sim- simply quarterback play, which how could you not give the nod to Aaron Rodgers? I think Joe Burrow is going to make this a game. I think three points is too much. I like the Packers at minus three. I see him winning by four. Yeah, I think you're probably right in the right range. When I first saw this, it was similar thoughts where I'm like, what am I missing? I feel like the Packers are a significantly better team here. But when you start really looking at this game, the Bengals, I think, are going to be a team that has a chance to exploit the Packers through the air a little bit. I know Jair Alexander is phenomenal, one of the best, if not the best, cornerbacks in football. But there is also a factor that not a lot of teams have, and that's Joey Burrow. The kid's got swag. He's got it. I love the kid. I think he's going to keep him in games like this. And I do think that the Packers do inevitably win this game. And I do think they cover. But I think the Bengals are able to keep this close a lot longer than people think. But the Packers are going to win this game by a field goal or so beyond behind Aaron Rodgers. Another very good game from him, I think. It's going to be in that neighborhood of like a 31 to like 24 kind of game. Our next game. The Lions are going to Minnesota, where the Vikings are seven and a half point favorites. I'm going to take the Vikings minus seven and a half in the money line. I think this is where we're finally going to start seeing that enthusiasm and effort dwindle a little bit for the Lions. They're still going to be competitive in a lot of games because Dan Campbell is going to will them to do that. But I don't think they're going to be good enough to win here, especially because you know that's a frustrated Vikings offense right now. And with how bad they played this last week, seeing that Honolulu blue uniform across from them, I think they're going to tear it up through the air. I think Kirk Cousins has one of his better games in a while. I think the Vikings win in a game. And I wish I had actually thought about this before. I almost wish I took the over in this game because at 49 and a half, that feels very obtainable. But I'll just stick to my Minnesota minus seven and a half in money line pick. I like the Lions at plus seven covering the points. I think that's a lot of points in a divisional matchup where you know, Minnesota really isn't that bad. They only have they have the second least amount of giveaways this year. Surprisingly, only behind Seattle, who has a horrible defense. We'll obviously get to that. But that Kirk Cousins led offense have only turned the ball over twice. Now their defense is not getting a lot of turnovers because they're even. They're even a turnover differential, which Detroit is minus two in right now. They both cannot stop the run, which is their strong suit. Well, that's what Detroit's strong suit is. It can be Minnesota's strong suit, but when you have Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen in there, you can pass the ball a little bit, which Detroit is averaging roughly around 248, but yeah, the Minnesota Vikings are allowing 253 passing yards in this game. I think it's going to be a surprisingly close game, I have Detroit covering the seven and a half, but I have Minnesota money line winning this game. Move on to the next one. We have the Denver Broncos at the Pittsburgh Steelers, which this is a mind boggle of a game. And I'm actually going to take Pittsburgh in this game. Yes, Denver, Denver has a top five rushing D, sixth ranked passing defense. And they're also tied fourth with sacks. Yes, Pittsburgh is the sixth worth offense based off just strictly yards. But a defensive matchup, I have to give the nod to Pittsburgh right now because who they played. They played more competitive teams and more offensively heavy teams than the Denver Broncos have. As well as kind of like what I was alluding to in the game before, I'm going to have to lean to the quarterback play, which I never thought I was going to say this. Ben Roethlisberger is who I'm leaning to because simply Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater would not get it done with this. 
TJ Watt getting another week under his belt, getting healthy. I like the Pittsburgh team to cover this one and a half spread and win in Heinz Field to maybe get not get back on track, but at least get back in the win column. I slightly disagree just because Pittsburgh struggled against very bad defenses thus far. What are they going to do against a team like Denver? I think that you're going to see a Broncos team kind of feast on Sunday. I have Broncos winning this game outright, so naturally I have the plus one and a half in the money line. But the over-under is set at 40. That seems really, really low. But then you look at these two teams, and I don't know how in the world they find a way to get the 40. I think it would take a couple defensive scores. This is another game kind of like last week's Denver game. I'm going to double up, and I'm going to take three bets here. Taking the under as well. The under of 40, I just don't imagine a way that you can see this team. I mean, it would take something like 21 to 20 to, to get to the spread and to get to the over-under. So that's the kind of game that Vegas is kind of anticipating. I don't think it gets that high. I think this is going to be a game like 14 to 9 or 13 to 9. Just ugly, ugly football. But I do have the Broncos coming out on top. I just can't imagine the Steelers do enough offensively. I think they need a defensive score to get it done. But then the next game, another game that you can talk about in the offense, not going to be able to get it done for a team. The Miami Dolphins are traveling to Tampa Bay, where the Buccaneers are 10.5-point favorites. I'll keep this short. You heard what I thought about with Miami before. Buccaneers, one of the best teams in football. They covered a 10.5 in the money line here, especially coming off a game like they had in New England, a really emotional game, a game that they were just happy to kind of get out of the way and now they can take a deep breath and kind of be back to normal. So you have a Tampa Bay defense, which we were saying leads the league in rushing defense, only allowing 47 and a half yards. You kind of couple that with the worst pass defense in the league. When you're playing against a quarterback who finally just threw his first touchdown in a three-game span, and I don't have enough confidence because I think that front seven is going to cause problems for Miami. Now we flip it over to the offensive side, the defensive side of the ball for Miami, offensive side for Tampa Bay. Now we go over to Miami, who is bottom five in rush offense and bottom three in pass offense as well. I know we had a lot of injuries in the secondary that we were talking about with Tampa Bay. Jacoby Brissett has not done enough in his replacement of Tua to make me feel confident that he is going to keep the Dolphins competitive in here. You know Tampa Bay is itching for that blowout win, that game to really separate them or make it making that page turn of how their season is going to look similar to what they had last year prior to their, to their bye week. I can't bet against Tom right now. I feel like he is pissed. He's ready to get back in Florida and start making people's lives a living hell. I have 10 and a half here with Tampa. I'm riding that with you. Next game we have on here, which I love because we're different. New Orleans Saints minus one and a half point favorites visiting the Washington football team. Offense is pretty similar. 25.3 points per game in Washington, 23.5 per game for New Orleans. That's 103 rushing yards, 238 passing. To New Orleans, 132 rushing, 144 passing. Let's just take a step back. New Orleans is averaging offensively 276 yards per game, and they are two and two. That is mind-blowing to me that you can be an offense ranking less than 300 yards per game and still being a 500 team. Now, talk about bad secondaries. Washington's secondaries allowing 300 passing yards per game and 118 rushing yards per game. 
Alvin Kamara is going to feast over that 118 rushing yards, sprinkle in with that pass game. I think Jameis, I can't, I'm taking the Saints minus one and a half. I can throw all the stats at you all that I want. It's simple as this. The games you think they're going to lose, the Saints will win. And the games you think they're going to win, they're going to lose. That's how I'm basing this bet on. I have the Saints minus one and a half. Walter, what are your thoughts? I have the Washington football team figuring it out a little bit here. I have them winning this game and covering this spread. I think they're going to give Jameis Winston a little bit of fits on Sunday. I think that we're finally going to see that Jameis Winston just really isn't that good. He's functional, and he deserves to be the starting quarterback there. But after that first week, we were really inclined to think that they might be able to at least be relevant in the NFC South for quite a while this year. I don't think that's the case. I think that they're what we kind of anticipated, anticipated them being, which is a 7- or an 8-win team. Washington figures it out on defense. They win. They cover the one and a half. Philadelphia is traveling to Carolina, where the, the Carolina Panthers are three-and-a-half-point favorites in this game. I'm going to take them and the money line. I think that defense is going to give Jalen Hurts fits. The Philadelphia offense is going to really struggle against that defense. And I think Sam Darnold's able to put up some pretty good numbers here against the Eagles defense that have really been a, a disappointing here at the last few weeks. We're on the opposite sides of the spectrum on this one. I'm going to take the Eagles at plus three and a half. Uh, this is mostly because Jalen Hurts, you know, even though we talked about it, a lot of his production in yardage are coming during that garbage time. Without J.C. Horn on there, easily their best player in the secondary. Yes, he's a rookie, and yes, he was causing problems. We saw what a Dallas team exploited, you know, this past Sunday. I think Philly, they finally find a game that they're like, you know what? We can stay in competition with this. We can make this a competitive game through all four quarters. And they and they have a confidence boost. Again, not looking for moral victories, but more or less to hang your hat on. A performance like that against the Chiefs, and keeping it that close. He has 12 points is that close against the Chiefs. You have to see some confidence going into Carolina. I will say, now Philly's allowing 150 yards per game rushing, yet they're the seventh best pass defense in the NFL right now. It's really funny because everyone knows just to run on them, and that's how you get that's how you get the lead. Now, without CMC, who would easily destroy this team, Sam Darnold's been your leading rusher the past two weeks. I feel like that is, that cannot continue. Maybe it won't continue here. But I like Jalen Hurts finally getting another win and putting up Maybe the NFC South is his thing. He likes to he likes to embarrass those teams in. I like Philly at plus three and a half. And if anything, if you're kind of on the fence on either picking one of us, don't mind looking at that over 45. I feel like that, that can be a high-scoring game. Carolina have their rushing attack scoring a bunch of points. Philadelphia putting up 300, 350 passing yards and putting up a couple touchdowns. I can see this game being a 30-24 type game that you were not expecting. Tennessee Titans, four-and-a-half-point favorites against Jacksonville. I'm just going to say it. There's really nothing to get too much in here. Tennessee, regardless if they have Julio and A.J. Brown, they're going to be ready, and they're going to win this game. Jacksonville's 0-4. Now they're having a little bit of drama circulating throughout the organization. Questionable, you know, in that locker room, too. That's the last thing that you want (laughs) this early in the season. And Tennessee's coming off that game that they should not have lost strictly because of Lack of talent not being played. You still had more talent that was on the field in the New York Jets. They're going to be ready to play. They're going to cover this. I would be. I would take this all. You know, I'll raise your 
take this Rams bet all the way up to four and a half, five, and I'll push it to uh, 11 or 12 for this game. Derrick Henry, not in my prop, block and drop it. Derrick Henry over rushing yards. Before I give you my picks in this game, just more news on that Jalen Smith sign or release, I should say. I said signing. Next week, I think there's a good chance we're talking about him signing somewhere. But he was released, and Mike Garofolo tweeted out, a trade is not likely because the Cowboys have already explored that option, source says. And he has the balance of $7.2 million base salary for this season, plus $9.2 million in injury guarantees next year. The latter part of this is a huge reason why the team is moving on. And then Jane Slater quote tweeted that and says, can confirm my sources telling me the Cowboys tried unsuccessfully to trade Jalen Smith. He did everything we asked him to, but ultimately the play of guys like Keanu Neal, Leighton Van Der Esch, and I'm told perhaps increased use of Jabril Cox led to the move because of, because of what Mike Garofalo tweeted. So here's the interesting thing is that deal doesn't exactly hit until tomorrow afternoon or today for you guys listening around three or four when the league day begins. So it was just like a last minute. They're like, yep, I waited the absolute last minute. Like, could you imagine, and like kudos to him, could you imagine just going into working every day knowing that like that's going to be your fate? Yeah, and it sounds like they're obviously trying to move him, and this is kind of a last-ditch effort to do that because if teams hear that they are trying to potentially move on, maybe they're like, oh, God, well, we really don't want the Chiefs to go after him or we don't want the Browns to go after him. So we're going to actually make that call now. Maybe because at this point, the Cowboys aren't getting anything for him. You call and offer a seventh round pick. Perhaps that'll be enough to get him out of there. Let's ask this way too early predictions of where he could land. I just gave you two of the answers right there. Kansas City and Cleveland make a ton of sense. I could even see the Raiders making sense. This stage of the season, I don't know. I mean, if you're willing to commit long-term, I mean, the Jets just brought in two late-round rookies that were drafted safeties in the linebacking core. If he's perhaps willing to take a decent money deal, maybe he goes there and he's willing to to kind of be a part of that rebuild. The Jets have the money. I could see them trading a fifth or a sixth-round pick potentially to get him. He's just going to go to New England. Five-year deal, too? Go to New England? Is that what you're calling that? That would be nuts. Of course. That's where that's where all the good players go. Oh, you're, you're not wanted here. Let's win championships, which you can't win anymore. But you never know. Mac Jones is the truth. The Tennessee Titans, as you said, are four-and-a-half-point favorites at Jacksonville. I'm with you. I'm taking the Titans minus four-and-a-half in the money line. With everything happening right now in Jacksonville, I think it'll be a testament to the players that they're professional enough to keep this four and a half points is man, they, this is going to get ugly. And I think this is a game that I'd even consider taking an alternate line for almost reverse teaser, get it down all the way to minus 10 and a half, really accelerate your odds. But the next game, you just talked about the Patriots, the Patriots nine point favorites against another really bad AFC South team in the Houston Texans. I'm taking the Patriots minus nine. I'm taking money line. And I'm taking the under of 39 and a half. I was stunned that there was a game that could find an over-under to be less than the 40 in that Pittsburgh-Denver game. This one deserves it. Another situation where I do not know how you can find the points here. Interesting enough, I think you might be uh, disagreeing with me here, but I think Houston's going to find a way to maybe put up 10 points. And then it's a matter of, 
do you think New England could get four or five scores? I really don't think so. I think this is going to be a 27-10 kind of game, and that would be in your under range. Yeah, that was post-research that I, uh, or that was pre-research that I had all that in. Honestly, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna touch the nine outside of a sloppy garbage time touchdown. It's gonna fuck me by, by the hook. Or I guess there's no hook here, but you know that puts it right, right there at nine to make me push or or lose the bet. I'm not touching this. I like the New England money line. That's a nice parlay that you're gonna couple up with other bets you think are locked. Davis Mills threw four interceptions against the Bills. That made them the number one defense of the league, as far as I'm concerned. Well, not by me, by statistical reasons. They made them the number one defense in the league. What makes you think they're not going to, or he is not going to throw another interception here when they just kept the GOAT at check during the game against Tampa Bay? Yes, I know it's early in the season. Yes, this, that, and the other. Don't care. It's Tom Brady. You held him in check. They're going to dismantle. I'm going to be surprised if Houston got blanked again this week. Prop bet. Couple of them. One prop bet. That's not going to be in it. Something else. Davis Mills throw another interception. Absolutely. How's he not going to throw an interception against this Bill Belichick coach secondary? You know he is. Another. Houston has the lowest scoring team of week five. Why not just sprinkle 10 on there? They won it last week at plus 750. Why not take it right now? Fuck it. Why not? And now, Wally, we got the Chicago Bears visiting your Vegas Raiders. You see, you like the little switch up? I'm not saying the Raiders in that voice is doing it like that. Raiders are five and a half point favorites right now. Khalil Mack, first time at the new stadium where he was almost traded back to this offseason, if you guys do not remember. This is a really fun stat about the Bears. So the Bears are leading the league in sacks right now. They have 15. They're also leading the league in sacks given up at 15. I mean, my goodness, this is bad. I That matchup is interesting. D-line against the O-line of the, of the Vegas Raiders because that Vegas Raiders team has led up the fourth most sacks this year at 12. They have the number two passing offense in the league. Now, I think Justin Fields is going to have the same of the similar problems. He's going to have a rush in his face this entire time. I think the Raiders are going to be causing them problems. I don't like Chicago here at all. Another hostile environment Justin Fields has to go to against a defense that's going to be right in his face. That offensive line of Chicago does not give me any credibility. Yes, Chicago's D will get after you, and the D-line for the Raiders will also get after you because they like putting up sacks as well. I like the overs in the sacks game as a mid-prop bet or a side prop bet as well. I like the Raiders minus five and a half in their home stadium. Getting back on the winning track. I hope so, man. This is the first Raiders game betting-wise all year I really haven't felt comfortable with. I, I look at this line, and I really do see this going either way because I do think that that defense is going to get pressure on Justin Fields, but I do have my reservations still in that secondary, and especially this week losing Casey Hayward like we did, I think you're going to see Nate Hobbs step into a role he's not used to, and I don't think Raider fans are excited to see that right now. I am going to go with the Raiders minus 5.5 in the money line, but a large part of that is because I think Josh Jacobs is going to be back, and I really need to believe that we're going to have a, a little bit better pass protection out of the or backfield because right now Alex Leatherwood is getting bullied by these top-end talent guys. 
Joey Bosa did it last night. It's large part the reason why the Raiders weren't able to move the ball in the first quarter. First half, excuse me. It wasn't even just the first quarter. And then TJ Watt, before he got hurt, the Raiders probably don't beat the Steelers if TJ Watt's playing. So I am pretty bummed out about that. And I hope that he gets better because I really, really went to bat for him in the offseason. But he's not looked good so far. I'm hoping that this Sunday, it's a different story. But I am going with the Raiders minus 5.5 in money line. I think they do just enough and win this game like 24-17. to The Browns going to the Chargers. And I was really shocked when I saw this line. And by the time this comes out, there's a chance it's moved a little bit. But the Browns are a one-point favorite in L.A. against the Chargers. And I know the Browns are really good. And the Browns are probably going to have over half the stands there, too. Get used to seeing that. The Chargers just do not have a following. But I think you're going to see quite a bit of Browns fans, too. So it's going to be an impromptu neutral site game, so to speak. But this Chargers team... If you made me choose right now, if you put me up, what, against a volcano and you threaten to push me in if I'm wrong, I think my Super Bowl champion today is the Los Angeles Chargers. And I think that you're going to see that reflected again on Sunday with these teams. I think the Chargers win this game, so I'm going to take them plus one. I'm going to take them money line. And for the third time, I'm going to take an under because I think the Browns defense has gotten better and it's going to at least give fits to Justin Herbert. But, man, that Chargers defense is really good, too. And coming off that really tough start from Baker Mayfield, I think they're going to really try to get the ball going on the ground, and it's going to really shorten this game. So I have the under of 49.5 as well. So long-winded answers there for you, Stephen. Apologies, but who do you got? Browns minus one. I have been getting burned by the over of the Chargers. I'm officially off that. That's my unofficial drop for the rest of the year. I'm not fucking touching it because I got burned by that fire three weeks in a row. One of those being a teaser at 42 and a half. Lost that against the Cowboys. I mean, I think you said it best. These teams are eerily similar in offense as a total offense yardage-wise. Chargers 11th, Browns 12th. Passing offense for the Chargers 6th, Cleveland's 25th. Rushing for the Chargers 15th. You know the Cleveland has the number one rushing offense in the league right now. That is where you're going to be able to exploit this Chargers team. Chargers are ranked 28th in rushing defense, allowing 139.5 yards per game. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt know how to eat. Again, they're the first-ranked rushing offense in this league right now. I would not want, want to match up with them yet. Well, Justin Herbert will have a harder matchup facing the second-ranked passing defense in the Browns, but I trust Justin Herbert more than Baker Mayfield after these past couple games. Give them the nod. I think Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are going to continue to eat like they have been these past couple weeks. I think Baker Mayfield is going to continue his struggles, and Justin Herbert's going to hoist them up to victory. He's going to be able to last longer and roll with the punches even even longer. Plus one and a half right now. Not in it, but I think that's an absolute lock for week five. Next game that we have here on the slate, the New York Giants are going to Dallas, to Jerry World, the Cowboys are seven-point favorites. I'm taking the Cowboys. The Giants barely won. That was all luck. Saquon had a great game. Welcome back. This Giants defense is not as great as I was anticipating or Wally. You know, we were anticipating during the beginning of the year. The Cowboys are on a roll. I'm not going to fuck with them. Even with the touchdown, they're going to win this by two touchdowns. That's really all I have to say about this. I like that number seven. 
because I feel like it gives you that little protection in if this is a touchdown game, at least everybody goes home none the wiser. And this is the reason why I'm actually going to go the other way here, Steven. I'm going with the Giants plus seven. And the reason with that is that I think they're finally starting to figure it out a little bit on the offensive side of the ball. And if they're able to even be functional, protect the ball, give Saquon a little bit of a little bit of, of help, I guess is the best way to say it, then I think this team could actually be a functional team. I like their defense still. I think they're going to give up plenty of points to Dallas. That's just a testament to how good Dallas is right now. But I'm going to go with the Giants plus seven just because I think that this is probably going to be in that six, seven, eight range. But I'm just really hoping that I'm on the right side of this. So notice how I didn't say Dallas Cowboy money line or Giants money line because this game, to me, it's it still feels weird. And I want to get down so that my over and under bets I gave earlier doesn't pollute this with how many bets I'm giving out to people. The Giants plus seven there. What if I told you there was a team that scored 35 points back-to-back games, and now they're facing a team who loves to turn the ball over. And this Dallas Cowboys team, you like the voice switch up? This Dallas Cowboys team, second in the league with 10 takeaways, first in turnover differential. The last non-primetime game of the week here. San Francisco's going to Arizona, and Arizona is on a freaking tear. They're five-and-a-half-point favorites. They can really put a nice little pressure point on this division if you win here. Starting that division off at 2-0 and and beating, to me, the best two teams in that division. And that's the reason why I'm taking the 49ers, and I'm taking the 49ers to win this game outright. And that's because... I think they understand how important this game is for the outlook of the rest of the season and who's going to win this division and likely, or at least very possibly, win the bye for the NFC. And I think Kyle Shanahan's going to coach his ass off this week. I don't think it matters who starts, but if it is Trey Lance, I think this is going to be the moment we look back to and say, he has arrived, or this is his job now. I don't see Jimmy G coming back and getting it done. I don't see Jimmy G coming back and really winning the job again. I think they're going to err on the side of caution and tell him, hey, we you're still the starter, but we need you to just take care of yourself, and that's what you're going to see here. So same but different. I'm taking the San Francisco 49ers, that plus 5.5 in this game, but I have the Arizona money line. It's hard to bet against Arizona right now. They're hot. They're winning games you're not thinking that they're going to win, that they were losing last year in similar fashion, but they're coming out on the other end and winning this. If Trey Lance is starting, it's a rookie quarterback. I don't care what you say. The dude's going to be prone to turnovers. He's going to make at least one. Say that Trent Williams isn't playing. Arguably the best left tackle in football. All of a sudden, J.J. Watt has a free free place to go. Mix it in with Chandler Jones. They have a problem with that defensive front. I like... Arizona to win this game, but San Francisco to keep it close and cover this. Because to your point, they know the extent of this game, the importance of this game. This early on in this division, you had a division game to able to do so. Into the Arizona side of the ball, Kyler Murray. We'll talk about it in a few weeks, but MVP candidate here. 440 yards per game, number one offense and total yards in the league right now. 35 points per game. And a plus five turnover differential, which he felt like last year this time was a minus five turnover differential. 
They're not turning over the ball as much. I am confident in this Arizona team. And like I said, I have one foot one foot in the bandwagon, one foot in the bandwagon, one foot out the bandwagon. But that one foot, that means I'm fucking riding or dying with you. Because you know me. I've been riding or dying with the Falcons last year. I'll tell you if I'm wrong. And we're moving on to the Sunday night game. Buffalo Bills are visiting the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead Stadium, where they are three-point favorites, the Chiefs are, that is. Kansas City, they're playing at Arrowhead. Just like I can't bet against how hot Kyler is in that offense, I can't bet for the Chiefs and how bad that defense is. I think Josh Allen's going to have a hell of a game. He's been putting up solid numbers, but very underwhelming game in that coming off that fourth year after having a very explosive third year. I'm waiting for him to have that game, and I would not be surprised because maybe this is the year everyone gets the Chiefs on their hit list for now. Got the Ravens getting the dub. You have the Chargers getting the dub from last year after Mahomes is talking all that trash about Herbert. Maybe the Bills are right next in line for that AFC Championship rematch from last year. I like the Bills in this. This Bills defense right now is quietly ranked number one. I know it's fairly early in the season, but they're ranked number one. They're allowing 149 yards per game. Yes, Davis Mills' 87 passing yards is going to help with that average. That is still impressive in the league. And right now, the quarterback rating average is 56.1 against this defense. The secondary has improved. This whole defense has improved, and they're causing problems in that front seven and getting to the quarterback and to the backfield. I like the Bills to beat the Chiefs, and I have them plus three, and I'm going to go as far as I'm taking the money line as well. Bills Mafia, ready to break some tables and break Kansas City's dreams. The Bills are losers, and so are you. I'm just, I really don't believe that. I actually love Buffalo, but I'm going to really lean into this anti-Buffalo rhetoric that I've been got going on for me right now. So the Chiefs win this game. They cover the three points. I mean, really, what again, last week with Josh Allen, why were we amazed with this guy? He had, what, like 250 yards, two touchdowns, in a pick against a worse or second worst roster in all the NFL? No. The Chiefs get it done. They finally look a little halfway decent on defense. And they're going to win this gun by 10 points. Wow. So side bet is what I'm getting on this. Side bet on each of the, on the money line and the spread. And we're going to our next game, Baltimore. <laughs> oh, you're, you're not that confident. You're I'm not, not that, I'm yeah, not that exactly. confident to take seven more points that Vegas has given me. But I'm confident in the three points. If you have the Bills money line, there's a side bet right there. Let's just do Chiefs minus three. That's me. Bills. Oh, this, isn't the, this isn't the 20s before they had sports bookies. I'm taking the fucking spread like a smart man. Uh, well, yeah, but here's the deal. We had a, a side bet right between us. That could be it right there. You have Bills plus three. I have Chiefs minus three. If you think of something, I'm just saying I'm up for it. Or how about this? Oh, my God. It's like a spread within the spread. You have to win over one and a half of those bets. If you're taking plus or minus, that's that's what you have to decide. Anyways. All right, but we'll go to our last game. The Colts in Baltimore revenge game. The ultimate revenge game. Colts leave Baltimore in the dead of night on a bus. And now 50 years later, they get to play again. <laughs> Sorry. The... <laughs> do you think? Do you actually still think that's like a... They make that happen. They're just like, all right, I know you guys weren't really, honestly, even alive during this, but you have to have this animosity towards Indianapolis. 
I mean, maybe the fans, but there's no way the players are like, oh, man, they left yeah, 50 you, years yeah, ago. Have you, have you been to Indianapolis or Baltimore? That's all they can fucking talk about. Cal Ripken and how the fucking... <laughs> and how the Ravens came from Indianapolis. I agree, yeah. I've, that's every discussion I've ever had with anybody from Indianapolis or Baltimore. So, naturally, this game is going to be very highly disputed. But the Ravens are seven-point favorites in this game which felt like a ton of points. That really surprised me. I know that the Colts aren't exactly looking good, and the Ravens haven't either, though. They didn't look all that impressive against Denver on Sunday. They should have lost to Detroit last week, and then they gave up a million points to the Chiefs. I know everybody gives up a million points to the Chiefs, but still. And then you lose the opener. I So I'm going, I'm going with the Colts plus seven, but I'm taking the Baltimore money line. I do think this is going to be a score similar to that of the Rams Colts game earlier in the year, like 27 to 24. I feel like that's a right around where this is going to end up. Colts defense. I like them too much to say that they're going to completely roll over and let the Ravens win by more than a touchdown. So yeah, there you have it. Colts cover the seven, but the Ravens win this game. You hit the nail on the head. Like, Baltimore hasn't done anything offensively to really pop out on the paper for me. It really just blow me out of the water with the wins that they've had. I think the one loss that they had to your Vegas Raiders says a lot more about what that team can be. Baltimore, they're third in rushing yards still, 164 yards per game. They're honestly surprisingly 13th in passing. This Colts, yes, they have a good defense. They're, they are not as good as we were anticipating, and this Ravens defense is not as bad as we were anticipating due to the injuries that they've had. This is way too many points for, for a Colts-Ravens game. I feel like they're always that close. The score that you predicted was also nailed right on the head. I like the Colts plus seven and Baltimore money line, just like you do. And I like this because I feel like we've been on different spectrums this whole time up into this game, and we've been right on it. Yeah, it's nice to finally get to it, especially the last bet here, at least game-wise, that we get to be on the same page for. So let's hope we're right. And before we head out, you know we have to have our favorite gambling segment, Prop, Lock, and Drop It. Of course, when we choose our prop bet for the week, our lock for the week, and a game that we want to stay away from, the drop. Wally, I'm going to let you lead this one, bud. Who, what's your prop, lock, and drop it? This week, I am going to go with Russell Wilson. Notice that my tend for the prop bet is usually Thursdays. So hopefully you guys get to hear this before this game happens. But I have Russell Wilson on the over of 20 and a half rushing yards. I think because he is going to be running around for his life quite a bit in this game, he's going to have to scramble. And luckily for him, sacks aren't going to go against your rushing stats. It just goes into the team passing yards. So I'm going to go with Russell Wilson over 20 and a half. I think he probably gets in the neighborhood of 30, 35. And that's at minus 115. So if you throw 100 bucks at it, you're still getting right around what? 88-ish dollars, so I think it's a good little value bet here. My lock then, Packers minus three at Cincinnati. I do think the Bengals are able to keep this close, but the Packers win this game by more than a field goal, and I think, I'm very confident that they win this game. So if they do win, I mean, worst comes to worst, they only win by three, it's a wash. You get your money back, but I am pretty comfortable saying I think it'll be over three. And then my drop is Dallas in New York. I know I said I have the Giants plus seven, but we still don't have a very good barometer or gauge on where they are right now. I know they're coming off the good win, but 
New Orleans is an enigma too. So I'm going to say stay away from that. So let's just go over to you now. What's your prop? What's your lock? And what is your drop? All right. So my prop, which I don't mean to toot my own horn, but sometimes you just have to. First two weeks, really roasted you on the whole total sacks thing. Last two weeks, interceptions on particular quarterbacks. First week was Zach, Zach Wilson, which that's a perennial, perennial lock of the prop of throwing an interception. Dude's going to do it all the time. Had Danny, Danny Dimes throwing a pick this past week. Yes, he did throw an interception. This week for my prop, a little bit of a drum roll, please. We got Mr. Davis Mills for the Houston Texans. Last week, his odds were at minus 229. Dude threw four interceptions against the Buffalo Bills, so I'm more than expecting him to do at least half of that against a better secondary. My lock of the week, the New York Jets at plus three and a half against the Atlanta Falcons. I love the three and a half. Worst case scenario, I think this game is a field goal game. You're winning by the hook. Atlanta is Atlanta. The Jets are riding a high. Robert Sala is going to just lead them to a nice couple victories to string together to really bring this team close to just fail later in the season. Jets plus three and a half against the Falcons. My drop, LA charges at plus one and a half against Cleveland. That's what the line is right now. Wouldn't be surprised on my book if it was a pick em. I am not touching this game. I am watching this game strictly for entertainment. Maybe a couple props. I don't know. If you know me, shoot me a text. I'll, give you, I'll let you know. I'm watching that strictly for entertainment and because it's a local game here. So I know I don't have to stream it and uh, fuck up my computer even more than I have to. That's going to bring us to another end of our episode of Loss of Down. Of course, follow us on all of our social media platforms, Instagram and Facebook at Loss of Down. And you have Twitter down underscore loss. But we get to break that news a little bit quicker than Adam Schefter's. I don't know. Maybe Adam Schefter's our inside plug. You'll never know. I'm Stephen Weed. He is Walter Lukashensky. Wally, what parting words do you have for our listeners? Not much. This is going to be a tough weekend. I'm not going to get to watch too much live football Saturday or Sunday. And I'm finally going to kind of get to see how the other half lives, so to speak. So I'll report back next week what other people do on Saturdays and Sundays. That sounds miserable. The only reason I'm missing games on Sundays is because I'm going to an actual NFL game. Go Packers. See you pussies in Cincinnati. Fun and Kevin, just like the Urban Meyer was searching for. Again, he is Wally Lukashensky. I'm Stephen Weed. Until next time, this is Lawson Down. Can't wait to see how many years you're up. Fuck you, Adam Alfonso. Go Raiders.